Welcome back into the great Scott show. It is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. That is uh, Sabotage, the favorite Beastie Boys song of uh, the head coach, who is now Billy Napier. Louisiana Rage Occasion head football coach Michael Desimo is now the head guy and here to talk to us about that and talk a good bit of NFL is my friend. You know him as a uh, Louisiana Rage Occasion Hall of Famer, a Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, uh, a, uh, a lover of horse racing, and uh, a former NFL quarterback who won an NFC championship with the Carolina Panthers. Jake DeLome is on our airwaves now. Good morning, Jake. How's life, man? Life is very well, man. I uh, can't complain. So uh, busy, like most people, but it's uh, it's a good it's a good busy. Yeah, I know how busy you are, man, and I, I mean it when I say I always appreciate you taking the time to come on here. Uh, I usually come on a couple times a year, and uh, so I, I'm not going to ask you about your eyesight. We're just going to get right into an important question. Uh, what is your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time, Jake? Man, that's tough. I uh, it's kind of funny. I actually watched uh, flying back from Miami last weekend after the Panthers played uh, a, a Beastie Boys documentary on uh, on Apple on Apple TV. Yeah, that was yes, a good one. It was on. Uh, it was a good exactly. One. It was. Uh, I was on the plane, so um, you know, certainly that was back in my younger days, and I enjoyed a lot of them. I can't say I had one that that was a. Uh, that was definitely a, uh, a favorite. Yeah, it, it's it's well done and uh, recommend it to anybody that uh, that listens to their music. Um, let's talk Cajun football, Jake. First off, um, when Coach Napier was was hired in December of 2017, if I had told you, you know, he's going to win 40 games, he's going to go 32 and five in year two, three, and four, they're going to be 12 and one, win an outright conference championship. Would you have been surprised? Would you have expected something like that? Uh, looking back at the Napier era, man, what what stands out to you from, you know, back when he was hired, uh, shoot, nearly five years ago, but certainly four seasons that he coached with the team? Well, I think the biggest thing, yes, I would have been surprised because, one, that would be unprecedented. That had never been done at this university. Um, and, two, I think the thing that I was most impressed with um, with what he has done in this program is just the consistency year in and year out of this football team um, and and the growth. I don't think he ever rested on his laurels or this coaching staff or the, the relentless approach to recruiting. And I just think that was something that was so apparent. Watching this football team uh, his first year, I remember first game of the season – and I'd be lying to you if I'd say who they played. Um, but from the opening kickoff, we ran down the field and covered. Um, I, I'm a big – I just – I like watching special teams. I just think that says a lot about uh, a coaching staff and, and things of that nature, the importance that is put on um, that type of situation because it's such a vital part of the game. And just watching how those guys ran down the field, stayed in their lanes, and then the whole operation on the sideline – just where players go when they come off the field, the operation, um, the detail, and things of that nature. I'm just very impressed, and I'm going to be very honest. I'm not so sure that was that talented of a football team because the year prior the team struggled to finish the season, and there were a lot of holes on that football team. And just watching them as the season went, I thought they improved as the season went along 
and that is the that's a sign of a good coaching staff. Uh, when you watch young guys improve as the season went along because they had a, a bunch of freshmen playing and some younger guys. And I watched guys that were with the previous regime, and it just seemed like um, they were just doing things a little bit different. Um, and, and I think that was just the most impressive thing. Uh, and, and the consistency year in and year out. Billy was always the same guy. You know, I, I got to know him a little bit. Um, but just he, he never changed. He was always comfortable in every situation. And the thing that I think stood out and in talking to people that got to know him very well or his assistant coaches, just the attention to detail and the plan and the focus that was in place. There was, a pl- there was always a plan in place. They talk about like the eight phases of the year um, that Billy kind of his calendar – um, is made up of that. And that's something he learned from Nick Saban. And <laughs> whether or not people like Nick Saban or not, it works. And um, that's kind of exactly what Billy has done, and he stayed true. And it's, uh, it's shown that it, it is very, very successful. And I was lucky enough to listen to Billy um, at the LSU football clinic a few years ago. I had to give a little – I had to talk, and, and he was going to speak a little bit earlier. And Dave Aranda was also going to speak um, before me. And so I went earlier. I wanted to listen and watch. Um, and just listening to him talk, listen to all those coaches there, just he, he basically he explained, listen, I got hired at Clemson at 28 as the offensive coordinator, and I got fired. And I got fired because rightfully so. I wasn't, I, I wasn't ready for that job. And, and he laughed. He said, I did what all fire coaches do. I went to coach rehab, which was at Alabama. And he went as an analyst, I believe, for one year. Um, then he left, I believe, to go to Colorado State. And then Nick hired him back, and he was a receiver coach for three years. And he said it just kind of built to that foundation of um, what I believe in. And, you know, it's very well thought out and studied. And he gave different examples. Just, I mean, the details of how the practice field is structured during the course of a practice um, and, and when things are done. He gave the eight phases of the year, how he talked about just in-depth details of short yardage and goal line plays and how it was just – it was done down to, to science. And I was so impressed with it. And you kind of wonder why Nick Saban has been so great at everywhere he's been. Um, he's developed that plan, and he constantly works to kind of tweak it and, and just stay stay forward, stay on top of it. Um, but that was right then and there. It's like, okay, this guy really has a vision. Um, and he stuck to that, and this team has kind of bought in wholeheartedly, to say, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and we've seen the results of that on the football field and off the football field. Um, so we're going to miss him. I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, we'll miss him. He was fantastic, and I don't think there's any doubt he's going to be a huge success at Florida. ESPN Lafayette, Jake Delomar, guest. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I don't have any doubt either. And so, as you said, kind of always the same, very even keeled. I was doing a on their show in Jacksonville. I don't remember the station. I apologize. Uh, they're not listening anyway. But they just wanted to know about Coach Napier, right? And um, you know, they had heard the the scared money, make money quote a ton. And they were, I guess they were like, man, what kind of, you know, his personality, is he is he kind of funny? Is he vibrant? I'm like, you know, Dan Mullen would say some 
I'll say interesting things in a press conference, right? He gave you all a lot. I'm like, Coach Napier is not going to say anything out of the ordinary. It is very, um, it's authentic, but it's very by the book. It's very much process oriented day to day. Like his, his personality is winning. Like that's how I described it on the show. It's sort of winning the day. It's not this, you know, when you go coaching the SEC, Jake, I'm sure, you know, you might agree with me on this. Fan bases can sort of elevate a coach and make their personality bigger and sometimes maybe even make it something it's not. And I don't know what Florida fans are going to do with, with, with Coach Napier, but he is so even keel that, you know, I got asked a question, well, how do you think he's going to do, you know, in a different media market where the media's, uh, you know, going to be harsh and the fan base is going to be harsh? I'm like, he doesn't – it's not going to phase him one iota. Like that – that part of it, that's not. There's not a lot of head coaches. I shouldn't say that. There are there there are a lot of head coaches in their early 40s that may not be able to handle that. Right, the 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 24 seven criticism, some of it unwarranted, the constant, all the constants that come with being a head coach in the SEC. Coach Napier's personality is one where it's almost kind of like Teflon. Like it just kind of bounces on and off because. He just focuses on the process. Whether it's a big win or a tough loss, you're going to get the same guy. Well, there's no doubt. And I'm a firm believer that when you believe in something and you're very secure in your beliefs and your preparation and detail and you've seen it done correctly and that's what you know works and how it works, you have to trust in it. And you can't – I'm not saying you can't deviate some – due to injuries or things of that nature. I'm not talking about that. But when you know something works and you don't deviate from it and you stay true to it because it's a proven success, you're just, you're confident. You know it works. And that's something that I don't think will ever bother him. And you you hit it on the head about the media. Listen, this is a very, coach, this is a sport, football, that is so popular. And, and there's so much scrutiny, and it's so much big money, especially – it's all over, but the NFL and then especially the SEC. Um, it, it's, it's – you're under a microscope every waking second. I don't think there's any doubt. And I just don't think that's something that Billy worries about that much, to be quite honest. Because when you believe in something and you're a leader of men, which I, I believe, wholeheartedly I believe he's a leader of men, he's not going to worry about – what might be written by somebody when they really and truly don't know. And listen, if there are bad games or some bad times, yeah, you have to take that when it comes. But if you just stay true to that process, more times than not, it's going to, you're doing the right thing for your team. And listen, I just believe you're a leader of men and can lead a program or you cannot. I, I, I believe that with every ounce of my being because I've seen it, I've been around it. Um, and I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. You ever thought about coaching, Jake, or is that something that's always uh, been a, a no thank you? I just prefer to play and talk. Well, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I think sometimes um, I, I would like to say, man, I'd love to be a quarterback coach in the NFL uh, because I just think I could maybe relate to a quarterback really well and, and like, hey, give him tips of the trade and – you know, hopefully I, I know what a quarterback's supposed to look like because they can come in different different styles now. Um, but it's all about productivity, and I think that would be something possibly intriguing to me. 
Um, but yeah, I just haven't, I haven't reached that point in my life and I don't know if I ever will, to be quite honest. I mean, the whole college coaching portion of it, uh, I would have difficulty with the recruiting part. I'll be very honest. I just think that's a, that's tough, man. That's uh that's a, that's another baby in itself. And, um, I think I was just so used to the NFL way. It's, it's all ball all the time. You don't have to worry about the recruiting, the grades and, and things of that nature. Um, it was just more or less you're coaching ball or playing ball 24-7. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. It's the great sketch you we're visiting with. Jake DeLome, former education and NFL quarterback. You said something a minute ago about Coach Napier and where the confidence comes from and that that formula for success and you fully believe in it, then you stick to it and you're kind of unbothered by a lot of the outlier things. That is what Dr. Maggard explained to me on the show Monday as to why he chose Michael Desermo. You know Coach Desermo. He played quarterback at UL like you. Um, I have seen various reactions from the fan base. Some are on, you know, cloud nine. Others don't like the hire. It's going to be a fan reaction. It's always going to be across the board. It's not a surprise. But as you were talking about that, that formula that works, Maggard made it very clear to me, and I think to anyone that's listened to him talk about his decision to promote Coach Desermo, that's why he did it. He is confident that Coach Desermo will continue that formula. He said it's not a reset here. We've built it. It's about continuing the ascent. Jake, how do you feel about the promotion of Coach Desermo, and do you think he's going to be able to fill those big shoes? Well, First, I'm, I'm going to start with what Dr. Maggard said. Um, I kind of think Dr. Maggard, his track record so far at UL, it looks to be pretty darn good of hiring head coaches. Correct. And I, I, I'm a big believer you, you let somebody do their job. And so Dr. Maggard, <laughs> to say he's done his job pretty well in some of the hires that he's, that he's made at UL, I I think you could say he's uh, that's been successful. Um, and he's right. So this program, and look, Mark Hudson did some good things at UL. That, 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 we can't take that away. No doubt. But the program started, tur- started turning the other way toward the end, the last two or three years. And it just didn't seem like, um, I guess you could say, the recruiting um, or lack thereof. There, there was just starting to have some holes, and it was trying to be – kind of plugged with a juco here, there, a transfer, just trying to plug holes. And, and college recruiting is, I mean, that is, that is your lifeline. You've got to kind of keep the guys coming in, you know, as much as you can. And it's, uh, it's hard. It's difficult. But that's what Billy did. He established that. And I think that's kind of where Dr. Maggard was. Hey, we and, – and listening to everything he said from – kind of last week and, and then yesterday and, and, and hearing some of his, his interviews, this is a, a train that is on the tracks, so to speak. And he didn't want to take it off those tracks. There's a complete buy-in by the administration, the football players, the staff, and it's a process that, that works. So I think, and then look, he said it externally and internally, he was going to look. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who the external uh, guys were that, that he probably interviewed. I, I have no, no, idea but he obviously felt very comfortable uh in the interview process with uh coach desimo so 
Um, and listen, Mike, I saw him play, I think, one game in college because I was playing. Right. I, I wasn't around. But everything I've ever heard about him from the time he was in high school to the time he was in college, the ultimate leader and competitor. And players follow a guy like that. So Mike starts to, goes to uh, Ascension. The program has just started. And, what, three years, I believe, he was there. And every year there was a big improvement. And, I mean, he truly, when you say start at the bottom, I would assume he probably had to cut the grass and line the fields at that stadium. I would assume. So he's done everything that <laughs> he's been at the bottom. And then he gets a job with Hudsmith, uh there, what, a year or two, and then Billy keeps him. And then he kind of gets promoted along the way. And I do know for a fact, Billy Napier was a unbelievable fan of Mike Desimo, one as a person, but two as a football coach. His attention to detail, uh, very highly organized, and his ability to recruit. And I know Billy thought so highly of him. And I, I'll throw another name, Rob Sale, who's now the offensive line coach for the New York Giants, the offensive coordinator for the first few years with Billy. Um, and Rob was with Billy at Arizona State, and so Rob has been around and seen it. And I've gotten to know Rob a little bit over the years, and I know for a fact that Rob was when Billy when it was announced Billy would be taking the Florida job. Uh, I just know for a fact that Rob said his his mind his mind was like if if UL if they know what's right for them, Mike Desimo is the hire. He said, because he's that guy. He goes, I understand he might not have gone to other places. I get it. Like, I get it. That, that's, you understand it. But, you know, he played under the Hudspeth regi- regime, uh, coached under Hudspeth. And then now then Billy comes in. And so that is, the, that's the two, I guess you can say, um, coaches that he's coached under in the different ways and styles of doing things. Um, but you just know. A guy can or he cannot. It's very simple. Can you lead men? Can you lead an organization? And can't do people believe in you? When they believe in you, they will run through a brick wall. I believe this with the bottom of my heart. If Louis Cook would have been given an opportunity to run a college program, any program, he would have been highly, highly, highly successful because of his ability to lead men, do things the right and just someone you look up to. Um, so in that regard, uh, I'm excited. Mike's going to get the opportunity. And listen, are there other better candidates out there? I don't know. We don't know. I don't know if those names will ever come out. But we'll just never know. But every year, there's always a hot new coordinator that gets hired. Some work out, and then some don't. That That's the way it goes. But Michael's ability to lead men um, – I just think I think that's going to go a long way. I was lucky enough. I was the captain's award this past Sunday for the uh, UL football banquet and um, or the award ceremony. And so I was able to speak to a couple of the players uh, briefly. Um, and it was it had been announced that Mike was going to be the head coach, and a couple of the other coaches on the staff. Some I knew, some I did not know, um, and. I asked them kind of, hey, what do you think? And every one of them was like, it's it's a no-brainer. He said, he just, he, he's got it. So, listen, I'm going to put my trust and faith in Dr. Maggart because of, one, 
he did pretty damn good the first time he had to hire a football coach. Um, and so I'm going to put my trust and faith in, faith in him. And listen, I don't, I don't know if I'll upset people by saying this or not, we could have hired Jesus Christ and there'd be some people that are going to want to hire Satan. I mean, it's very simple. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is sometimes, Scott. You know, you know how that goes. I'm stealing that line from you, and I'm going to apply it to any time a team I cover or fans talk about uh, react to a coaching hire, um, and I will not give you credit, so I'm just going to go ahead and steal it. Uh, so, uh, well, Father, I, forgive I mean, me. I, I don't, I'm, I'm, trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny, but, like, there's always going to – that always happens. You know, I mean, just that's – and you, let's look at the NFL. There's many great coaches in the NFL, okay? Um, I think Bill Belichick is extremely, extremely good. Well, you can't tell me watching his interviews, his press conferences and whatnot. I mean, does that look fun? I mean, does he look like he's having fun? Yeah, going to Cincinnati. But every player that's ever played there, it's like, hey, you learn so much football and you become a better player. And then you have a Sean McVay who is brilliant. Is a brilliant offensive, just a brilliant football coach. You watch him in front of a microphone at a press conference. There's never, any, there's never any. It's nothing ever negative. It's just the positive energy. I mean, you have two different types, and I, I, they're both very successful. So, what works and what doesn't work? John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator. Was not an offensive or defensive coach. He's a leader of men. That's what he is. And for him to stay double digits. Uh, in the NFL and be successful, or Mike Tomlin. I mean, like, what better, what more of a leader of men do you want than watching Mike Tomlin? I, you know, I just, I just think you have it or you don't. And I'm very, I'm, I'm bullheaded when it comes to that. I think you can or you can't. I just don't think there's a there's an in between. To be quite honest, the personality is irrelevant. What matters is can you can can you convince young men to follow you. And I don't mean convince, like maybe convince is the wrong word because it would insinuate that maybe you're lying. Can you lead young men, period? And can you lead people, whether it's collegiate athletes, whether it's professional athletes, do they know that you can lead them? And if they do, then they're going to follow. And if they don't, you're going to struggle as a coach, right? Personality traits aside, that's for Jake DeLome. And I think for many, that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. Oh, I think so. And, um, you know, I, uh, I there's one uh, young I'm not there's one young hotshot coordinator's name that has come up a lot uh, in this coaching cycle this year, and um, he's at a program that's highly successful. And I know somebody extremely tied into that program was an ex-player there, played long time in the NFL, and still extremely close. And I value his opinion mightily uh, because he's just steady guy that he's been around and I asked him um, the other day about this young coordinator and uh, he said well he said I, I think he's getting a little too much pub to be quite honest he goes and that might be from the school that he's at for, for him to be able to get a head job somewhere and so in essence they're pumping him up to, so he can move on, mm-hmm. and he said it's not. He's not. He's not nearly what he's cracked up to be in the least bit. So, you know, you just don't know what's the truth, not the truth. And I said, I just think um, one thing. 
I do know this for a fact. When Dr. Maggard hired Billy, uh, this was after I talked to him, uh, we were somewhere, and he said, you know, Jake, he said, um, uh, I interviewed however many people he had interviewed, and he said, we interviewed, and it, I don't know how many hours they talked on the phone interviewing. He goes, and it felt like 30. He goes, I just knew right then and there his vision, his plan. Just He said he stuck out like a sore thumb compared to the other guys I interviewed. And these other guys had big names um, and, and, and things like that. So I, I, I'm going to go back to saying I put my trust in, in Brian. I think Dr. Maggard has done a great job so far. And, um, you know, I um, – I'm excited for the hire for Dez. I mean, look, um, I just think I just think he'll do a good job. Now, listen, we're 12 and one. Let's hopefully we finish 13 and one. We had a quarterback that just about broke every record that's been starting the last four years. So, it's to say we'll go 13 or 12 or 13 or whatever it is next year. That's going to be tough duty because they're. I mean, it's just you know, I'm I'm just anxious to see the product on the field. It's something that we can be proud of, and I truly believe um, it will be. Jake DeLome, our guest, CSPN Lafayette. I'm Scott Prather. Great stuff. We're going to take a quick time out when we come back. Going to ask him some NFL questions. Jake, uh, on the radio broadcast for Carolina Panthers football, Joe Brady was let go by Matt Rule. We'll get his thoughts on that on the NFC South on that 17th game and uh, just the NFL season as a whole. It's all coming your way right after this. Don't go anywhere. Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Jake DeLome on the line with us. Jake, let's uh, let's talk some NFL if you don't mind. I want your thoughts on that team in the NFC South you cover very closely, team you spent many years with, the Carolina Panthers. And uh, when news came out, I guess it was Sunday, that the Panthers were parting ways with Joe Brady. Well, they didn't even say parting ways. It's you know they they fired him. And usually when when two sides part, and some teams just worded differently. Uh, you talk about guys being you know in the last segment. You know coordinators, their name gets big, it goes to the top, and then you know either they have it or they don't. Does Joe Brady have it? Did he have it at LSU but doesn't have it here? You got a closer look to that. You know inside that situation in Carolina, what didn't work with Joe Brady with the Panthers? Well, so two, year, two years ago to the date, um, we're talking about the hottest young coordinator in the world, and then he gets um, – he part, they, they parted ways in Carolina. So it just goes to show you. I think in Carolina, I think the biggest thing the last couple of years is we just – we haven't really had stability at the quarterback. Man, I think you ask any team in the NFL if they don't have one – you're constantly searching for, for one because it's hard to win if you don't have one. It's, let's be very honest. 
Um, last year in Carolina, I think the team kind of overachieved somewhat. Uh, it was a roster that had many, many holes. Uh, new coach, Coach Rule coming in, and they did some good things. Um, but the big thing was they were 0 for 8 in game-winning drives at the end of games. Uh, they were they were in most of those games. So Teddy Bridgewater gets shipped off uh, to Denver, uh, and then they brought in Sam Darnold. And, uh, you know, Sam was a talented young kid who it was just um, wasn't a good situation in New York, to say the least, with the Jets. And they had coaching staff and that football team. And comes to Carolina, and uh, first three weeks of the season, he looked pretty good. Yes, we be, uh, the Jets were a week one opponent. I get that. Uh, the Saints were week two. They were coming off of a shellacking of the Green Bay Packers, and Sam played pretty darn good. And I think most Saints fans, and um, like yourself, everybody watched that game, and um, Sam looked pretty well. And then the following week, you get another win on a Thursday night. Yes, it was the Houston Texans, uh, but I watched him play that second half without Christian McCaffrey. I watched him stand in the pocket and make some big throws, to, making hits, long, sustained drives, using his feet. Um, and then it just kind of went on a roller coaster ride, to be quite honest. Uh, I lost uh, at Dallas and come back with a win and just got very inconsistent in his play and, um, and started turning the ball over and got injured. And we've had 11 different combinations uh, on the offensive line starting for um, – I'm sorry – there has been, I think, 10 different offensive line starting combinations this year for the Panthers. So to say continu- continuity was a factor, um, that would be putting it mildly. So it just wasn't um, – it didn't look good, to be quite honest. And so I'm not so sure of the inner uh, details of uh, maybe what him and Coach Rule discussed or talked about, but they decided to – it just goes to show you um, how quickly uh, fortunes can change in this business. So – um, it happens, man. It happens. It's a, it's a tough, it's a brutal game. I think the Saints are witnessing it this year. I think that's an extremely good roster that they have. Uh, unfortunately, they've had some issues at the quarterback position. Uh, Jameis Winston, I kind of like Jameis, and I was anxious to see him play a whole year under Sean's uh, uh, tutelage. Uh, then he gets hurt. Uh, Taysom Hill, I mean, um, Trevor Simeon's done some decent things, uh, but there's a reason Trevor's kind of been a backup his whole career, you know? Um, and then Taysom's battling some injuries, and so it's uh, it's difficult when you don't have that quarterback, man. It's a um, it makes it pretty hard. Yeah, the importance of of a quarterback. You said earlier you sometimes have, uh, I guess, aspirations to be maybe a quarterback coach in the NFL, and then those kind of go away, and 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 you focus on other things. But you, I, I say that Jake to just you know, I guess, emphasize. How closely you follow that position, having played it for over a decade in the NFL, and you talked about coaches and their ability to to lead to lead men. You got to lead men in football, but when you've got a really good quarterback, it can make all the difference in the world. You talk about injuries, whether it be Carolina, whether it be the Saints. You know, Aaron Rodgers, whether folks listening love him, hate him, indifferent, whatever. I don't think anyone's indifferent to Aaron Rodgers, by the way. You know, Green Bay, they on a short week, they go into Arizona, and they're missing four pro bowlers, and they win. And if Aaron Rodgers isn't playing in that game, no disrespect to the backup, they're, they're probably getting crushed. A quarterback can elevate a roster so much, or, you know, I don't even want to say downgrade, just just – an average quarterback just has to work with what they have or below average quarterback, whereas a really good quarterback 
in my mind, Jake, it just sort of lifts the rest of the roster. And you mentioned Jameis Winston. I <laughs> I tell folks, you know, everyone was talking about the Saints offense early in the season. I'm like, you've seen how, you know, the Saints are missing a lot at receiver this year. And that's just, that's putting it mildly. The fact that he was able to, you know, throw and, and be efficient and, you know, lead them to victory in games with, with some of what he was having to work with, I thought was pretty impressive. And I think... When you've got a key quarterback in the NFL, you've got a chance every week. When you don't, you better have really good parts around him because it could be a long Sunday afternoon. Well, I think we saw that. You see, it without a doubt. I mean, go back and um, I think 2011, that was the season, Peyton Manning had the neck deal Oof. in Indy. I mean, that's a Super Bowl contending team. Peyton Manning does not play snap for them. And they picked number one in the draft because they were the worst team in the league because of one guy. And, and listen, he's an all-timer. I get it. But that's just the way it goes. You know, when you, when you have, and they're hard to come by. And when you, when you have one, um, and you better enjoy it. And I just think the Saints, uh, they had one since 2006. And, yes, his body started giving out on him the last couple of years. But – you can't tell me Saints fans did not think there was a fighting chance to make the Super Bowl when he was your quarterback. Every it didn't matter at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a bad call, a, a blown coverage in Minnesota, a bad call against the Rams, a questionable call against the Vikings, um, against Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. You know, like three years in a row um, with a with a quarterback whose body was starting to fail him. I think everybody saw that. But his mind, his leadership, his ability to lead, his ability to get in the right play, know when to check it down, know what run game to check to, know what pass protection to make when the, when the play clock's at nine and he sees something coming um, and he knows he needs to redirect the line one way. And you can't – that's just something that it, it's, hard to, it's hard to replace. Um, you know, so I think that has fallen into what happened with in Carolina. Um and and we'll see if this team can kind of make a push, you know, because I, I call them every week. We'll see if we can make a push, win a couple of games at the end of the season. But, I mean, all the talk is now is who's going back that they can get next year. Who's going to be in the draft? I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Cam Newton, um, it was uh, fun in the game at, at, at Arizona. Uh, and then against Miami, it wasn't. Um, you know, the Saints, Trevor Simeon, yeah, he came in and, he helped them secure that victory against Tampa Bay, but you know they haven't won since. Uh, Taysom was playing all beat up last week in a game that offensively certainly uh, was you know not the most pleasing thing to the eye. And I'm just focusing on the NFC South here. Um, you know, <laughs> Tampa Bay gets Brady. You know they go and win the damn Super Bowl. So uh, quarterback, it 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 drives everything in the. I say everything. It drives so much success in the NFL, and when you got one. You always got a chance, and when you got one that's average, you better have a great coach and a really good team around them. And if you do, you can succeed. Uh, what, what in your mind has been the biggest surprise in the NFL this season, Jake? Oh gosh, um, I don't know. If there's much a surprise. I just think the the amount of parity. I think you've you, kind of all year long. Um, I'm not to say I'm surprised by Mac Jones and the Patriots. Not in the least bit. The Patriots. Uh, you know, a middle of the road team last year, 
and they had so many guys opt out, and they didn't have receivers. And then they made a huge push in free agency because financially they could have. They weren't paying a quarterback big money. They signed the two tight ends. They signed a couple of receivers. They they get a couple of young running backs to go with what they had, and they, they got a bunch of players back that opted out. Uh, and then they drafted well there. They signed uh, Judon. So that's why they're good, because they got good players, and they, they drafted a quarterback that fits perfectly with what they do. I can't say I'm overly surprised by really and truly any team, um, because I think the NFL, that's that's why there's a salary cap. That's why they want parity. They, the ratings are through the roof because of that, because teams believe every year they have a chance where I think – the majority of teams in baseball and basketball, they know they don't have a they don't have a a, 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 ch- a, a chance whatsoever before the season starts. Um, but just that's just, and that's why everybody's searching for that next quarterback. You see, okay, who's going to be the first rounders this year? Well, do they have a first rounder this year? I mean, that's kind of we're always searching for that next guy because everybody knows you need to have that guy to give yourself a chance. Um, and parity makes it. Makes it that way in the NFL. Do you like the seven playoff teams? Do you like the seventeenth game, or do you prefer? I, I, we all know why they did it, right? It's money, bottom line. But but as it's a former hard, player, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to say I don't like the seventeenth game um, because I don't mind it. But but Scott, I play quarterback. Like yes, you get hit. Don't get me wrong. But it's nothing like the tight ends, the linemen on both sides of the ball, the linebackers, the running backs. The re- like, it's nothing the beating that these guys take. You know, so I can say, yeah, I don't mind it. But, I mean, you go to the playoffs, there's nothing like playing 19 or 20 games. You know, that just there's nothing greater than that. And, yes, you're beat up. But you know what? That's the way it, way it goes. But the players also realize you're getting paid these salaries that are – well, needless to say, I don't have to tell you with the salary cap how it's gone up so much over the last 10, 15 years. And, yes, there was a retraction this year due to COVID, but it's just going up. So that, that adds so many more billions uh, to the game and that players see that and they're going to get paid more. It's just the way it goes. My final question for you, Jake, I appreciate you taking the time. Something I've always wanted to pick your brain about, and that is the players' union and – you know, strength in numbers or perhaps lack of strength in numbers. I, um, I obviously, I didn't, I didn't play. You did, so I don't have the inside track on this stuff. As an outsider, when it comes to a lot of the negotiations and why the CBA was extended early and why they have a 17th game, and yes, a lot of players complain. I always feel like it's 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 difficult spot when you're the NFL union or the NFL players union. Players Association, because you have so many more players in the pool of salaries between one and, you know, the 54th, 55th guy on a game day roster is so drastic. And the salary between the number one guy on the roster and the number seven guy on the roster is drastic. And while a, a union might tell players, hey, it's best if we hold that, if we want these things, you have so many other guys that know this is my only shot or this might be my only shot. And, oh, I got a shot at my pension. I got year three. I got all this on the line. You just – it's. I feel like it would be really, really difficult in the NFL right now with the money and just the, the layout of the salary structure for them to 
yield the amount of power maybe the NBA Players Union could or, or, or Major League Baseball. Now, that's just me as an outsider. As somebody that played like you, I just I wanted your perspective on that, and then I'll let you run. Well, it's like very simple. So, one, I was never a uh, union rep uh, for my team or anything like that. Uh, I didn't have the time for it. I mean, it just kind of was my deal. You know, those guys, if you're going to do it correctly – you, you want those guys to be able to put in the time. And so um, that just kind of wasn't in my wheelhouse. But look at it, Scott. So 53 uh, guys on the roster. Now the practice squad is 16. So you're looking at, okay, well, you know, 69 players on the team. You're going to have 5 to 10 on IR. So 70 to 80 guys, 70 to 70, 75 guys. Let's just use that number. Times the 32 teams. What is that? Like 24, 2,500, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. You have all these players and there's 32 owners. So you have 2,400 or whatever plus players versus 32 billionaires. So if there's going to be the long wait or there's going to be the waiting game, they're going to win. There's no doubt because it's few and far between of the the players are going to say, hey, we're, gonna, we're totally going to sit out. We're going to get, try to fight for what's right or what, what the, the, the Players Association uh, uh, feels right. So I just think that's always going to be difficult um, to kind of get it flipped, I guess you could say, the other way or yeah. get a bigger piece of the pie, so to speak. So um, you've got to remember, you're going against 32, and they're billionaires uh, with heavy, heavy uh, arsenals of teams, so to speak. Uh, behind them when you have 2,400 guys or so. Uh, and guys, the majority are making league minimum mm-hmm. or they're just trying to scratch out one more year. So that's always going to be difficult. But looks like, uh, you know, we'll have labor peace for um, I don't know how many more years now, but um, it's I think it's kind of enjoyable that you kind of have the labor peace and things have been able to continue to kind of move forward. Jake DeLome has been our guest. Well, you just sort of – uh, made me feel even stronger about the point I've always made because I, I get calls sometimes about the buckle up. They need to listen. It's one thing to say you give your money to the guy that's that's making you know seven figures, um, but the majority of the league, the the league is made up of ton, just thousands thousands of players that the common fan they might know those guys on their own team, but they don't know any others right outside of the stars, and it's those thousands of players. That are sitting there saying, "No, I, <laughs> the clock is short. This this opportunity is short. I, sorry, I can't wait. I mean, I all the best to whoever comes in the league five years from now. But that's not me. I need to do what's best for me and my family now. And as a result, the owners are always going to have the upper hand. Jake Delome has been our guest, man. I've kept you for way too long. I appreciate it. I, I hope to talk to you during Super Bowl week. I know we do that each year." Um, but all the best, man, to you, to the family. Thanks for your perspective on UL, on Coach Desermo, talking NFL with you as well, and um, enjoy the rest of these games with Carolina this year, and uh, we'll talk to you again in the future, my friend. That, that sounds great, and uh, I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, it's a, uh, I'm extremely happy for Coach Mike Desermo. I think he'll do an extremely good job. Um, once again, I, I just – put my trust and faith in, in Dr. Maggard. And, and listen, this university, Dr. C, I think people need to understand, they provided the resources available, not only for Billy's salary, and, but his assistance and all the analysts that he's able to get and the nutrition program and the strength program. And they put it near the top of the Sun Belt. Well, look, look at the result. They have been at the top of the Sun Belt 
pretty much every year. And now they're definitely the king of the Sun Belt. So it's uh it's it's all encompassing. So, you know, hopefully Mike gets that um you know, that same backing. Uh, I'm almost positive he will. And uh we can support him because uh yeah, Saturday was some kind of fun at Cajun Field. Uh, uh the thirty one thousand to watch that scene on the field, uh with the everyone on the field to to celebrate. I mean that Gosh, that was fun. It was fun to be a part of, even though, you know, we, we all consider ourselves a small part of it. But you know what? It was fun to be a part of it. Yeah, so it was good cool. luck with uh, Coach Taz, and, uh, you know, we wish him the best. Appreciate it, Jake, man. All the best. Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you down the line. Okay, buddy. Take care.